Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Conspiranormal, where the nexus of conspiracy theory and the paranormal meet. Hey, my name's Zach Hunt. I'm a writer and speaker from Nashville, Tennessee, and I'm going to be talking about my book, Unraptured, How End Times Theology Gets It Wrong. When I was in high school, I was really, really into end times theology and trying to figure out who the Antichrist was and when Jesus was going to return, when the rapture was going to happen, all that kind of stuff. And I don't really believe in any of that now, and a lot of people don't. You may not. Um, but the reality is end times theology has a huge impact on all of our lives, whether we realize it or not. I'm going to be talking about that um, at the Strange Realities Conference. I'm going to be talking about exactly how end times theology impacts our lives each and every day. And I hope you can join me for my talk and for the entire conference. It should be a great time. Tickets and info at www.strangerealitiesconference.com. $40 at the door, $30 bucks pre-sale. And we're going to start off with Zach Hunt. Zach, welcome back to Conspiracy Normal, man. Thanks for having me, man. It's good to be back. Yeah. Yeah. The thank you for agreeing to come speak at our conference on, on October 19th. Thanks for having me, man. I'm excited to be there. Yeah, we're really stoked to have you, man. Um, I, I know it's going to be a little bit different. You're kind of the uh, odd man out on this one. <laughs> well, I often am, so I'm totally okay with that. So, so because your presentation, well, I guess you could kind of term it paranormal. I guess you yeah. could say it that 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 way. But uh, let's talk a little bit about what you're going to be uh, speaking about at uh, Strange Realities Conference. Sure. So I wrote a book called Unraptured, and it, um, like the title says, you know, has to do with the rapture. The subtitle is, you know, how end times theology gets it wrong. Um, and ultimately, it's just a book about, you know, Christian discipleship and what, you know, I, I think the Christian faith uh, should look like, you know, according to the Gospels, according to Jesus, and, you know, trying to present a um, really an alternative to the forms of Christianity that are out there now that are, you know, divisive and hateful and legalistic and all that kind of stuff. But uh, to get there, you know, I talk about uh, end times theology a lot because I was really into end times theology when I was in high school. Um, you know, I was a, a big church nerd, Sunday school nerd, all, all the kinds of nerds. And um, I got really into all the different, you know, conspiracy theories about who the Antichrist was going to be, you know, all the timelines about when, you know, Israel was supposedly going to sign a peace accord and another temple was going to be built and then Jesus would return and, and all that kind of stuff. Was it Ronald so, Reagan? Was it Ronald, Ronald Reagan? Reagan. Well, for me, I was convinced it was Hillary 
Clinton. I was, you uh, know, it was a little bit of, after, yeah. Well, yes. I remember that whole thing about Reagan was that uh, the fact that Reg- all three of Reagan's names had six letters. Oh yeah. <laughs> so you know that was obvious that it was six six six. So that's the great thing about end time theology is it can uh, be adapted for every time period. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, so you've got you know Reagan, you've got you know uh, why the rapture is going to happen in or eighty eight reasons why the rapture is going to happen in nineteen eighty eight. Yeah. You know that now the you know Antichrist can be. You know, basically whoever the opposite of your political persuasion is, um, and you can you know do the math to make their name fit or their birthday or social security number or Twitter handle or whatever. It's uh, it's nice that way. It's it's very accommodating. Yeah, that seems like a very common um, demonization that was used by a lot of different groups because you know back in the I'm sure as you're aware during the Reformation, yeah, you know, the the Pope was often described as the Antichrist and pictured as so in a lot of the different uh, drawings and propaganda Absolutely. at the time. Yeah, I mean, Luther definitely portrayed him that way. A lot of the Protestants did. And, and the, you know, the Pope comes up, you know, time and time again. Any Pope, um, you know, is a potential Antichrist, uh, you know, candidate. And a lot of that's because a, a lot of end times theology or dispensationalism is, is a Protestant thing. Um, not to say you don't have Catholic folks who aren't also – uh, invested in it, but the stuff that you associate with like the left behind novels or rapture stuff or, you know, the televangelists, you know, tend to be uh, Protestant in nature. And so the entire Catholic church gets portrayed as, you know, the beast or some other, you know, demonic force. And then of course, with the Pope is the head of that, then he becomes the, you know, de facto antichrist. But um, yeah, it's a wild time, you know, and it, it, uh, what I, I hope to, you know, convey with, you know, the book and in my talk too is that, you know, even if you don't believe in this stuff, even if you're not a believer, you know, at all, uh, this stuff has a huge impact on our day-to-day lives because right. it has a huge impact on domestic and foreign policy in the United States. Yes. Um, you know, so for example, uh, you know, if you remember a few months ago when Donald Trump moved the embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem, you know, that wasn't just a political move. It's something that's spurred on by his evangelical base uh, many of whom believe that such a move plays into biblical prophecy. Like it doesn't. Like that, there's nothing in obviously in the Bible about the uh, Israeli or the American embassy in in Israel. But um, this idea that there's all these moving pieces that have to line up so that you know these biblical prophecies are fulfilled, you know, is very much about end times theology, and it's very impactful because 60 people died, you know, in the protest. Um, of, of that move, and, and the same is true for you know all kinds of domestic and international policies, you know, from stuff with Israel to you know climate change, uh, you know, to religious freedom kind of stuff that you hear talked about in the news. Um, so all to say, it's you know it's it's quirky and it's odd, and you know I you know it's not something that I affirm anymore, and and a lot of people would dismiss as is irrelevant. But the truth is, this end time stuff, you know, whether you believe it or not, is is very impactful. Uh, on all of all of our lives, you know, whether we believe it or not. Right. That's often one of the things that we talk about on this show is that, you know, there's some of the various kind of conspiracy theories that are out there and the talk about uh, the elite or whatever, having these like strange beliefs. Yeah. And one of the, one of the things that I've often said is like, well, it doesn't really matter what you believe is is happening right. it matters what those those particular people believe because some of those people i mean they have there's there's a belief system involved with that too oh yeah like you know i don't think for a second that you know donald trump buys into biblical prophecy and is making moves for those reasons but sure. you know, somebody like 
Mike, Mike Pence does, you know, yeah. Yeah. Um, Mike Pompeo is another one. Too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, you know, one of the guys that you know, I talk about in the book, a televangelist who's somehow still around, um, that I love this guy named Jack Van Impey. And, uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's, he's still on uh, YouTube now, I think. Um, I, he, what well, used to be on TBN, they had a falling out and blah, blah, blah. But if you get a chance, the man is just, it's, it's a marvel to watch. Uh, it's, it's great free entertainment. But anyway, he claims, uh, to have advised the Bush White House, um, right after 9 11 on how, you know, United States military intervention in the Middle East would, you know, correlate with biblical prophecy. And so it's like, like you said, you know, even if like most of us don't believe in this stuff, if the, the right people in power do, um, and they make decisions that are led by this stuff, then, you know, there's real consequences. And, and like I said, with the Jerusalem embassy move, I mean, real people can die, um, you know, not to mention, you know, big stuff like climate change and all that jazz as well. But, but yeah, I mean, we've got some people in power who really buy into this stuff. And when you really dive into it, it's, it's kind of scary. Well, that's something uh, me and Adam have talked about a lot and definitely under the influence of Dr. Future too. And how much, uh, how much that the conspiracy theory world has really, you know, gone almost exclusively to the right. And like, everyone is, you know, really afraid of uh, George Soros or what these other, you know, these, Democrat elites being pagan baby uh, killers or whatever, yeah. And uh, but uh, the emphasis has been taken off of the the theocrats and like me and Adam trying yeah. to stay stay on that stuff and it's 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 absolutely terrifying if you're and if you're a you know person who believes in separation of church and state, you know it should it should terrify you the the extreme uh, you know convoluted Christian beliefs of some of these people. Well, yeah, I mean, because it's, it's one specific um, type of Christian yeah. belief. I mean, there's there's so many other denominations that aren't out there. Like the majority of the denominations, Christian denominations, aren't as loud as these people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. are as yeah. influential politically. Well, I, absolutely, and, and you know that group wouldn't want to hear it. I know I certainly want would not have liked this comparison when I was deep in the throes of end time theology. But you know, there's a the obvious parallel is with you know groups like ISIS or Al Qaeda who um, you know are trying to set up their own theocracies you know who are trying to set up their own version of you know it's hell on earth but their version of you know heaven on earth because they believe you know they need to follow all these commands from Allah and, and people get rightly afraid and upset and you know want to you know stop them but the reality is like the their polar opposite um, is just the same side. Uh, there's different other flip side. I can't even think right now. What's the side? Two sides of the same coin. That's the phrase I'm looking for. Um, but with with your dispensations, with your end times theology, I mean, they're also trying to force people to conform to their version of the world so that they can usher in the apocalypse, just like ISIS is. I mean, they're not blowing themselves up, but they are they're um, outsourcing that violence to the government, you know, to military intervention, to you know, all sorts of other things. Uh, you know, in the world. So even though like, you know, John Hagee or, or uh, Jack Van Impey or any of these other guys aren't outwardly violent, like, you know, ISIS is, um, they're, they're supporting policies by the government or by other people who that do have violent ramifications, um, you know, in, in the same parts of the world, which is, yeah. you know, crazy. Uh, when yeah. You there's like thinking. a, there's like this interplay between them too, between yeah. the, uh, you know, the theocrats and they kind of made this deal with the neocons for all this inter- interventionism and and uh it has 
created more of the Islamic uh, fundamentalists being politicized as well. Like it's this weird interplay. It is. Yeah. And it's, you know, for me, it's the, the irony, all of it is, is that, you know, the, the folks that really buy into end times theology have this very high view of, of God and the power of God, you know, to control the future and all this other stuff. And yet like their, their actions speak to a very different idea of God as if they're the puppet master and that, you know, by doing all, you know, X, Y, and Z, they force God's hand to act in history. Um, which, I mean, and that's a deep, you know, kind of theological puzzle, but it's, you know, it, it looks crazy and it looks like a mess and it doesn't make sense. But when you're in that world, it all makes sense. You know, like it, it's all so clear. And it was for me, you know, in high school, I mean, it was so obvious that, you know, whatever news story I saw about Jerusalem was clearly, uh, you know, a, a, a fulfillment of biblical prophecy. Right. I, mean, I remember when, when I'm in high school, I, I was playing basketball. Uh, you know, with some friends of mine and I, we were playing in my backyard and I just watched Jack Van Impey that night. And I was like, guys, did you guys, you know, see Jack Van Impey last night? You know, as if, you know, a bunch of teenage guys had, <laughs> yeah. around watching a televangelist. You know? Other than yourself, right? Yeah, other than myself, because yeah. I was a weirdo. And they're like, you know, we missed that episode of Jack Van Impey. And I was like, <laughs> oh, guys. yeah, that one. <laughs> exactly. And I was like, you know, I, I, I think the rapture is going to happen soon. And they're like, they look at each other like, you know, why are we friends with this guy? And uh, I'm like, well, well, how, how soon do you think he's going to come back? And, you know, with all the confidence in the world, I was like, you know, I, I'd be, I'd be surprised if, if we're not raptured by this weekend. And, uh, and that was 20 years ago and we were not raptured that weekend. Um, but like, I was so convinced of it because, you know, like once you get into that world again, like any kind of fundamentalist extremist group, you know, when you set the parameters of reality for yourself, um, you know, it's very easy to make all the the pieces, um, you know, fall in place. And so, you know, in, in my book, I, I try to address some of that and, you know, recognize that like these people that really buy this stuff, as weird as it is from outside, you know, most of them are good people, you know, they're decent human beings, they're you know, they may be very, very wrong about stuff, but they're they're not as as crazy right. um, as, you know, uh, movies and television might lead you to believe. Well, there's a whole industry that's been built around this, I think, since Absolutely. since the 1990s, especially. I mean, I think yeah. um, the big website back then was Rapture Ready. I remember hearing <laughs> about that. RaptureReady.com. Yeah. Of that. And I think you know what I'm talking about, right, Zach? RaptureReady.com. Yeah, I mean, I, man, it sounds really, really, really familiar. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, it's been it's been a lot of this stuff has been really kind of um, co-opted now. So there's there's certain researchers out there. I'm not going to name any names, but if you listen to the show enough, you know probably who I'm talking about. They will put out books and they will say, "Well, it's going to happen. Something's going to happen in 2012, and then nothing happened in 2012. So then all of a sudden, yep. it's going to happen in 2016. Oh, I, you know, I, it, it changed. And the, now they don't even really mention that they were wrong. They just like no. they just like let it pass. And most of that community just gives them a pass. Yeah. You know, oh, yeah it's Jim wild. Baker's out there with his buckets right now, just saying all <laughs> kinds of weird stuff." Well, you know, you can go back even further to like the 70s and you've got Hal Lindsey writing, you know, the late great planet Earth. Right. Again, you know, convinced that Jesus was going to come back then. And and that was, what, 40 years ago? And he's still going at it. You oh, know, yeah. Like you said, they gave him a free pass. And, you know, the, the reality is these 
these the folks that are writing this stuff aren't dumb. They know they see an easy dollar, you know, um, or they know an easy dollar when they see it. And there's a huge market. I mean, the Left Behind series I think has sold uh, 80 million copies. Cha-ching. Um, and yeah, and that's just one title, and that doesn't include you know all the paraphernalia televangelists sell, all the movies that come out, you know, all the DVDs. I mean, there's it's it's a cash cow, yeah, for sure. Entire industry. The thing that uh, really stands out to me, uh, what what is the what has the actual existence of an Israeli state done for for Bible prophecy? Because that seems like the most. I mean, because before that, you know, before the the existence of this Israel, I guess did people have to use it as a metaphor or uh, it pretty maybe, much sets the ball rolling, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, raptured theology doesn't appear on the scene until the 1860s. Um, there's a guy named John Darby who's a Scottish evangelist who comes over the United States and starts preaching this idea of like a two-stage um, return of Jesus. So historically, the idea is that there's a second coming. Jesus comes back once, right? Um, and Darby comes up with this idea that no, there's gonna be a rapture where the Christians are taken away, and then this tribulation where all this bad stuff happens, and then Jesus comes again. Um, and you know that definitely starts to take off. Um, you know, in the early 20th century in the United States, because you've got a bunch of revivalism that's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, but you're right. Once Israel becomes a state, and was it 47? Is that right? Yeah, 48. Uh, 48. Yeah. Um, then, then you've got hard places on a map that you can start tracing, you know, and you can, like you said, you can really, the ball really gets going. You can really begin to, um, put like hard identities behind some like vague prophecies. So like you said before, I mean, there's stuff like this has been going on throughout the church history. You know, people, uh, you know, in the Protestant Reformation were convinced that the Pope was the Antichrist. People in the middle ages, you know, had just as much apocalyptic fear. I mean, the early church was convinced Jesus was coming back immediately. Um, but the the stuff that we know it as today, with all of the very like detailed Israel oriented prophecy, absolutely um, yeah. starts that starts uh, in uh, in earnest uh, once Israel becomes um, becomes a state. And of course, since then, certain Israeli interests have really taken advantage of absolutely the Bible prophecy, uh, the role of Bible prophecy, and the role in these uh, these theocrats uh, in America. It's crazy. Yeah, I mean, Israel is a state, you know, there's smart folks over there and, you know, they just like they are everywhere else in the world. I mean, they they know um, I mean, they recognize, you know, the 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 zeal and the influence the evangelicals have here and are able to to use that, you know, to get American support and American dollars, you know, for that matter. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's 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 done quite a lot over there. Absolutely. And, you know, it's the, the messy part is like, especially with Israel, because is there's legitimate support and aid that should go to Israel, you know, because obviously after the Holocaust and the persecution, historically, things like that. But, you know, it's become so extreme, thanks in no small part to, you know, in times theology that it's become this, like you said before, like this theocratic issue. So that like to not support Israel is not just a political issue. It's like a it's religious or like a sinful issue because if you don't support Israel, then you know these biblical prophecies won't be fulfilled and Jesus won't come back and then God will be mad at all of us. Yeah, it has almost like this third testament kind of quality to it, is the way I like yeah. to term it. You know, it's like the the like the the newer 
third testament is what starts and when israel is founded as a state and this is the yep. beginning of a new kind of biblical time and you know it has all oh. that kind of uh yeah i mean uh one of the things you mentioned and i know this is in the news right now a lot as we're recording this um you mentioned climate change now how is the denial of climate change affected by this that's a great question um you know, so Revelation, you know, ends in chapter 21, 22 with this vision of a new heaven and a new earth. Um, and, it, and if you actually read Revelation, it's talking about the kingdom of God coming down, this new Jerusalem. And it's it's the, the melding, essentially, of heaven and earth and, and creation being restored to what it was in Eden, right, and at the beginning of Genesis. Um, but, you know, before all that stuff is all this gloom and doom, all these plagues, the moon turning to blood, you know, all this kind of stuff. And all that stuff is is, uh, is it's part of apocalyptic literature. It's all metaphors. It's, it's mythology that's used to convey a deeper truth. It's not literal history um, that John is trying – the writer of Revelation is trying to convey. It's, it's a message, and he's using this genre of apocalyptic literature to convey that. The problem is – it, that story has been read or turned into the story of the earth's destruction. And so the idea in end times theology and really through a lot of Christian thought, Protestant Christian dispensationalists or otherwise, is that the world is going to be destroyed and then God is going to start a new a new heaven and a new earth. Um, and if so, if the if the earth is going to be destroyed and burn up in fire, then it doesn't really matter right. um, what, what we do with it now because God's going to start over. So who cares about climate change? Who cares about recycling? Who cares about all that kind of stuff? The problem we'll just is just trash it on the way out. That's the, the <laughs> yeah. why not? Well, so exactly. it's not it's not so much a denial of ecological uh, pending ecological catastrophe as it's just believing in this new earth, so it doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, if anything, it can be kind of twisted into this like almost like statement of faith and deny by deny it because you know. Uh, oh uh, by by letting the earth go to crap, you know, to trash, you're you're speaking to your faith that God is going to make all things new. The problem is that Revelation says that God is going to um, transform the world, not destroy it. You know, and so God, it's it's an act of healing. It's God. It's an act of restoration. It's not an act in, gen, in Revelation of tearing everything down um, and starting again. So so yeah, I mean, like I said, it's it's one of those things where you know you wouldn't necessarily connect those dots, but um, you know, in times theology has a huge role to play in how, uh, you know, evangelicals in general look at, um, environmentalism. So it's not so much, I mean, that, that's something I think is important for the public to understand that it's not so much as denial that there's actually this third block yeah. that, that, uh, actually kind of, it probably would even acknowledge, you know, ecological problems, but they just don't care. Even though exactly. that's kind of a direct contradiction of the Bible, too, of that, course. you know that the very the the first part of the Bible, you know, be good stewards of the earth, you know, that's exactly. Yeah, I mean, and that you raise a great point. It's it's less. I mean, there certainly is obviously plenty of climate change denial uh, in the church, but it's less about denial than it is about ambivalence. You know, of like you said, like who cares? You know, whether there's create there's climate change or not, because God's gonna start all over again. Yeah. Do you have any thoughts on, have you watched that um, documentary on Netflix about the family? Have you watched that? I have. Uh, man, I I lost sleep after the first episode because it was so, <laughs> yeah. uh, 
uh, real, I guess. Um, so familiar, I guess is what I'm looking for. Um, I only got through the third episode and, uh, man, it, it reminded me so much of youth group and growing up. It was, it was scary, Hmm. but yeah, it's groups like that are hard. Like it's, they're hard to pin down. Like I, you know, I, the, the biggest problem I think with that group is their refusal to be held accountable, you know? And like, that's to me is, is the really scary thing. I don't, I don't think that they're like this, like, I don't think the issue is they're like this secret cabal, you know, um, as much with like this very specific, uh, you know, plan for getting rich and powerful as much as they are, like you were saying, like we were talking about before, they're very theocratic. And so, you know, they want to force everyone to conform to their version of Christianity, but they they want it to be done in secret and behind the scenes. And so, you know, they, they go towards these particular people in power, you know, and influence them you know, in that way and they hide behind the scenes so that nobody can, you know, call them out on it. But there's a weird folks out there. That's for sure. Well, yeah, it's like a, it's a secret network and very fraternal. Yeah. And that's where I think a lot of the, the real stuff is going down. And like, uh, you know, with Dr. Futures research, what he talks about and things he's talked about on the show is the role of the, the layer beyond that is these actual secret societies and chivalric orders. And in particular, all these Protestant Knights of Malta. Malta. Yeah. And I, th- I think, and then that has all those connections to the private, uh, mil, uh, the mercenary companies. And there's just, a, there's just so much shady Black characters. Water. And it's just a shame. I feel like people are ignoring, uh, are ignoring this stuff, you know, and, and just uh, being real politicized with conspiracy theory right now. And, and, you know, this is the most, like that documentary said, it's the most fundamentalist, uh, administration we've ever had in the country period yeah yeah you know it's it's um you know i think that bothers me um the most with groups like the family or or whatever they call themselves is the way that they use religion to sanctify their lust for power um you know because you know i i'll give them the benefit of doubt and i'm sure they believe the things that they they say they believe but you know, the fact that they feel compelled to hide their actions, you know, to do it all, you know, in secret and then, you know, stamp it with Jesus and the Bible, you know, really bothers me and should bother anyone of faith because, I mean, that's just so antithetical to the Christian faith. I mean, to Jesus, who's about the least of these and about being humble and being a servant, not about, you know, manipulation and control and secrecy and, and things like that. Yeah, they're definitely taking liberties with the religion. Absolutely. Yeah, and there one of the things that we've talked about on the show is uh, the new thought movement, and the family is the one that I think is most influenced by the new thought movement. Are you familiar with new thought? What that is? I'm not. No, I'm not. Well, new thought. Should I define? I'll, I'll define it. The new thought is this whole idea of like basically it's kind of like name it and claim it. I guess okay. is what you could kind of say, which I know that's a, that's another form of, uh, what is it? Uh, prosperity gospel kind yeah, of stuff. Sure. I mean, it, it, it's, it also seeps into the prosperity gospel, positive thinking. Yeah. But it's just like kind of the power of positive thinking. A lot of it's based gotcha. off of, uh, lots of it's based off like ancient hermeticism too, which is interesting that it seeps into Christianity. And um, cr- Christian science was going on. The Christian science. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Norman Vincent Peale was one of the big 
proponents yeah. of this. You know, yeah. like what is it? Uh, what was the name of his book? The Power, power of Positive Thinking. Power of Positive Thinking. Yeah. Okay. And, you know, and of course, Trump, you know, his family and Trump himself as a child went to Norman Vincent Peale's yep. church. Yeah. And so the family is very influenced by, by Norman Vincent Peale. In fact, he, like directly. And so, you, so this is where you get this whole idea of we need to harp on, harp on the rich and the powerful people. Yeah. And the problem becomes, especially when they're dealing with a, in the third world, where they're talking to the rich and powerful people and not getting them to redeem themselves of any of the bad stuff that they have done. And they're basically kind of like in bed with like these brutal third world dictators. You, you, you start having a problem there. Well, yeah. like like you're saying, this idea of Third Testament, this idea of it's a it's a new Christianity, yeah. it's an elitist Christianity, and I just think it's important for the public to understand that the Christianity of these people in power is probably not their Christianity. Yeah, it has echoes of um, Gnosticism to it. You know, and Gnosticism was one of the first heresies that the church faced. Uh, you know, right after you know, it's founding. And the Gnosticism is essentially the idea that there's this secret knowledge um, out there. And so you have some of the early Christian texts that didn't make it in the Bible that, that, that have this stuff in it about how, you know, you've got the gospels, but there was this other like secret truth, secret knowledge that Jesus had, you know, for his, you know, most inner circle. Um, But that whole idea is just so antithetical to Christianity itself, because Jesus is, you know, if you remember from the Gospels when Jesus dies, the veil in the temple that separated the people from the priest is torn in two. And, you know, it's a this symbolic act that encompasses Jesus' entire life of breaking down barriers and opening up the table and, you know, making space for everybody in the kingdom of God because Jesus was constantly welcoming more and more. You know, he's he, the idea that, like, secret power being held by, you know, this elite few is just anti-Christ in the most literal sense of the word. You know, and so that's where I get so frustrated and disgusted by some of these groups. Again, like this family, is that you know they're doing all this stuff in the name of Jesus, but what they're doing couldn't be more anti-Jesus. You know, if they tried. Well, right. I, I think there's a lot of there's a lot of positive, uh, you know, uh, Christian mysticism also that doesn't necessarily have to do with oh, the- our groups. You know, it's like, it's, but but they have their own they have their yep. own kind of perverted mystical Christianity. Well, absolutely, but. Christian mysticism definitely has a, a space in the Christian tradition, but Gnosticism um, would be a separate thing from that. So, yeah, I, I don't have an issue with Christian mysticism, just the Gnosticism of the, the ancient world. Yeah, the idea of hidden knowledge. Yeah, so when I, yeah, when I'm talking about Gnosticism, I'm not talking about Christian mysticism. I'm talking about the, the elitism of the secret knowledge, um, like as if, you know, some Christians are more important than others right right uh, you know. and i think that that, that that informs prosperity gospel too yeah sure i mean because the prosperity gospel is you know if god loves you he's going to bless you and so whoever's you know richest must be you know the most loved by god and i don't want to start a fire here but you know when you get to calvinism there's a little bit of that elitism in there too oh yeah because you know the, the only people going to heaven are the ones that god chose you know the elites yep but we don't know who those are yeah. Well, I mean, if you go to Technically. certain churches, you know, you can rest assured that you're part of the faithful. Yeah, no, that's that's a whole other can of worms for sure. Right, right. Uh, there's another documentary that I watched um, that's on Hulu right now called uh, 
Hail Satan with a question mark. Yeah, I've heard the, good things about that. It's about it the good? temple. The was it the temple of Satan? These yeah. these people that uh, they're just they're Unitarians with goats. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Essentially, that's really funny. But 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 it's interesting to me that you've got this like supposed like satanic group that's out there fighting this fight for like the separation of church and state. Yeah, and really pointing out that. You know, well, this is the consequence of your of the religious freedom or the quote unquote religious freedom laws. That it's they like, can you know, have the, public. The, we can have the same. Whatever, yeah. the, the, we can have our statue of Baphomet right next to the Ten Commandments and all this. And uh, what do you think about those guys? The Church of Satan. It's um, the, the Temple of Satan. Or temple of Satan. Satan. Yeah. I yeah, I think it's fascinating. I mean, I, at at the very least, I think it's a really clever approach. Um, to this issue, well, to the twin issues of, like you said, the separation of church and state, and then the cries for religious freedom. You know, like Trump and I guess Pence too were at the UN yesterday talking about the importance of religious freedom, and and you hear this from the right a lot, but all they really mean by it is, you know, um, conservative Christian freedom. You know, they're not as interested in you know Muslims or Hindus or Jews being able to practice their faith as they are them just not being. They they want to be able to you know not bake cakes for certain people right um, and so like it to me it's a really interesting way to turn all that on its head and really ex, you know reappropriate that language to um, or that mentality or that tactic or whatever you want to call it to expose it you know for what it really is you know because if you're gonna bang the drum of religious freedom then you have to make space for all religions including satanism and you know right. that's not really what they want and so to to take that and flip it on its head is is really fascinating uh to me but yeah i haven't seen the documentary yet but i i've heard good things i definitely want to check it out it just exposes the the, the consequence of that desire to yeah. have this religious freedom that they're you know and what true religious freedom means. I mean, you know, yeah. we, we, could, we could get into that. It would probably be like a three-hour podcast. But, <laughs> you know, just all this, what the, what the separation of church and state, what it does. People don't realize, I think people, the, the, these real fundamentalists, they don't, re, they don't realize just how if the church and the state are combined, it hurts the church too, not just the state. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you see that with Constantine, you know, mm-hmm. going back to the fourth century of, of when the church— you know, in the state or wedded, it, it creates nothing but problems. I mean, that's not to say that Christian faith isn't, you know, political. I mean, Jesus is murdered by the state for, you know, political actions. Um, but, you know, that wedding of the church and state is has never been um, a happy marriage. That's for sure. Yeah, it doesn't really work out that well. No. Well, Zach, this has been very good, very interesting. Um, let's uh, th- just give the title of your talk again. And uh, also where people can reach out to you and find you. Sure. Um, I'll be talking about my book again, Unraptured, How End Times Theology Gets It Wrong, and um, looking at how the the theology of the end times, whether you believe it or not, um, affects all of our lives. If you want to follow me, you know, check me out on Twitter, um, Facebook. The handle is at Zach Hunt, Z-A-A-C-K-H-U-N-T, because some jerk stole Z-A-C-K-H-U-N-T. I'm still bitter about it. Nice. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Zach, stay on the line for us. Uh, We're going to close out this section, and we will be back with the next guest that we're going to have at the Strange Realities Conference 2019. Hello, everybody. My name's Joe Damari. I'm going to be showing off Ghost Pro. It is 
technology that'll allow you to be able to see ghosts anytime you want and interact with them. Come on out to the Strange Realities Conference on October the 19th. Tickets and info at www.strangerealitiesconference.com. $40 at the door, $30 pre-sale. We're back on the show. Welcome. Continuing our exploration into the speakers at the Strange Realities Conference 2019. And we have another one of the speakers, obviously. A local. A local, yeah. Well, Zach's a local too, actually. Yeah. So, um, and then Guy's kind of a local. And we've got Joe Dabari. Joe. Hello, guys. Welcome, welcome back to Conspiranormal, man. It's been a while. You were one of the first guests back on this show way back in the day. You were like my second guest. Yeah, I'm, I'm always hanging around, helping, helping out. Okay, yeah, you you do, and you you've actually been a really big help to us because you did the website for us and everything, which looks awesome, by the way. And uh, you've helped us out with the Conspiranormal website too, which also looks really good. So we want to thank you, for, thank you for that, and uh, doing some other some other little things for us here and there to, to help promote this conference. Yes, um, sir. So let's talk about your presentation and what you're going to be showing everybody. Let's give a little teaser. Okay. Okay. Um, I'm. I've been working um, for the last. I would say six years on on this technology, so it's only been getting better, and it still has a wild ways to go. But I think it's I think it's perfect to show off now. So that's why I'm, you know, taking it to conferences and things like that. And I just want to show people that um, ghosts are more common than we've ever thought. You know, it, it's it's breaking a lot of the you know the old beliefs that they're you know, some a place is haunted. I think they are. Every place is haunted, from what I'm getting with the tech. So, I, I just want to show everybody that um, if they follow the steps I'm going to show, like at the conference, they should be able to get a ghost anytime they want on camera. Um, it is still up to the ghosts, of course, to show up. But I think they're willing. Of course, and ready. they have free. If they have free will, I, I would imagine. Yeah. Yeah. They, they sort of coexist with us and, and share the same space. And, and um, I, I really think that when we pray, it doesn't always go to God. I think our spirits are listening and they try to help us out too. And it's just, uh, I think this is an, an enlightening kind of evolutionary step for us to figure, you know, to finally figure out that ghosts are real and then have scientists know it hundred percent and then start moving on with more science you know on top of this i'm not i'm not really here for myself i'm here to show everybody that they have a a new tool to use you know they could start businesses around this technology um you could find missing people possibly there's like you know thousand dollar rewards out there why not use the tech and the spirits to find a missing person or well, to solve a crime, you know, there's so much that can be done with it. Let's talk about what the, what is this tech called? Um, it's called Ghost Pro VR. Okay. And it it's 
software. So that, is that kind of um, similar to like also kind of clever name of like Ghost Prover? Is that where you go yeah, with that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and it, it is VR though, ready where if you have VR goggles, you could have like ghost goggles on. Um, the problem with that though is you still have to take it, your whole mask off and look at the evidence slowly and it's kind of cumbersome and I really don't promote the VR too much, but it, it is ready to be on your face if you want it to be. But, um, yeah, the DARPA originally developed this stuff um, and or had MIT develop it for them. And that's what caught my attention about six years ago is they, they somehow were involved with that. So I said, wow, I got to really check this out, you know. What did um, they originally develop they, it for? Because I don't think DARPA would have been were, were looking for ghosts. What did they originally? What was their, their their original point developing it? Actually, actually, we don't know that because I called MIT and I said, hmm. "Did you guys know that you just invented a way to show ghosts?" And they 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 didn't confirm or deny it. They just said, "Oh yeah, it also does other things." So they they admitted to it that they it was was able to do that so many words so i was like what you know so yeah that they, they originally said it was for um, the medical industry okay didn't it have something to do with like need... heat signatures or something wasn't there something like that that it was picking up yeah, like it's... heat waves or something like that sort of it's similar to technology that's in the thermal camera but it's not not looking at infrared it's looking at all the other waves of light you know, that are in the visible spectrum. And if something moves or changes, it highlights that, you know, and the color change. So it's like a, it's like the opposite of a thermal camera a little bit, but more. Um, uh, it's more, it's based on light signatures rather than heat. Yeah. Yeah. The heat is light also, but heat is just that infrared light. So they're only concentrating on one wavelength with thermal. But with this stuff, it, it's looking at all the other available light. Then, then it blocks out. It turns completely black. Anything that doesn't move or change color, then things that move and change color, it highlights on a different degrees of, of intensity. You know, so um, basically, it uh, it could be used for target acquisition and finding like camouflage soldiers. I was thinking, you know, like anything that moves it'll know. So hmm. if they're breathing, it, it, it <clears throat> um, they claim that it could see a baby breathing from across the room, a little infant when they're sleeping. And that was the medical industry thing is they wanted to know if the little babies were, they didn't, <clears throat> in a preemie war, doctors don't want to disturb all the sleeping kids. So they said that they put this technology on it and they could see if they were doing okay without going in there and disturbing them from a distance kind of thing. Making so, sure like the heat but, was radiating from them and that things were normal. Yeah, not, yeah. Yeah, not, not heat, but seeing their, their chest go up and down. Up and down, movement. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I, I I don't know why DARPA would fund that, though. So I'm, I'm like, yeah. <laughs> so this, this leads into other stuff. I've used it to look for UFOs and things like that. And... Um, I'll be talking about that at the conference of, of the ability to get something outside in the clouds with it. So it's pretty cool. Okay. 
So you've like you've been working on this for like six years, and you've kind of like adjusted this and kind of like made it your own kind of thing. So, what has been? Is there a little bit you could tell just a little bit kind of like about the, about like the process of some of like the changes that you've made? Yeah, the back in the day when we, um, I was with Ghost Asylum behind the scenes, we would do a. And we would look at just a 10 second clip of video to see if there was ghosts in there. And it would take the computer an, an hour, 40 minutes to an hour to do the mathematical calculations on that. So it would take forever. So that's why we didn't get anything on TV that much. We, we had just one show we got the stuff on. Um, and, but back then it would just take so long to do. So over time, um, I've been, um, working with the programming and stuff and I've gotten it to be live basically. So, um, it's using the live, when you do a preview of your camera, when you're looking for, like when you're just looking at a subject in your camera before you take a picture, it's, it's using that, um, preview of the computer pulling in that, that light already. So it's working live. So it's, um, like a hundred times faster now. And another thing I added was the ability to, um, to get communication from this, the supposed spirits. We're able to get them to, to talk, um, using changes of light. So I put, uh, I cross-referenced changes of light with a dictionary. So I did, I just did the top 22,000, English words and phrases because a lot of words have their past tense and present tense and stuff like that. So, but I, I narrowed it down to um, names, numbers, um, most common words, most common phrases, things like that. And, and that is cross-referenced with the first 22,000 shades of light changing in the middle part of the camera. And um, I put it in a closed container with just a single light bulb on it needs light to work. So when, when you do that, the, who's ever manipulating that can talk and they've been reading minds. They can read it. It is so fascinating. So I ended up writing a book called pocket future and it sort of kind of deals with, um, um, predicting the future, you know, stuff like that. So I'll be talking about that a little bit. Are you going to be selling the book at the conference? Um, no, I'm just going to um, just let people know that it's available for sale. I just didn't want to go out of pocket a bunch of books and for no one to buy them. You know, I figured they could order them on Amazon. Okay. <laughs> I'll, I'll have some to give out for free, though, to, to to certain podcasters and stuff like that. Oh, okay. I got you. <laughs> So you've got this whole, I know that you, you know, we've had you on talking about this before and you put in like that, pretty much like that dictionary into it. And you basically like, it almost seems like there's like a Ouija board kind of effect and that you're communicating with these, with these entities or whatever they are. What, what do you think that the, um, these are that you're talking to? Um, you know, when you take a test in school, A, B, C, and D, all of the above, I think it's all of the above, just because we don't know. I, I don't know who's changing that light. There's so, and the pictures 
the photographic evidence I've been getting range anywhere from animals. I've seen insects. I've seen humanoids and, and humans. I've seen things with horns that don't look very nice. I've seen a lot of crazy things. I've even, I think I've seen um, common, what people call aliens. So mm-hmm. it could be any of those guys messing with the light. Just we can't see them for some reason. And I think my theory is we can't see them because they're vibrating at close to light speed. It's like when you turn a fan on and the fan blades go kind of invisible, but do that at light speed or very fast, you know, close to light speed. So something like that, they're, they're not going left or right light speed, I don't think, but they're just maybe vibrating at light speed. So we just cannot see these. And, they're, and, they're, and if you think about relativity, they're, tra- they're used to that speed. So, so their time is different. So time is different for us because we're vibrating at 13 vibrations a second or something stupid. And they're very fast. So we could possibly look like statues. So when we're asking them to change a color of light, it could be easy for them. You know, they're, they're really close to light speed. So they could probably say, oh, yeah, that's not a problem. And that's what it seems like. Who's ever talking seems intelligent enough to do it. Um, I say animals, though, because maybe an animal walks in front of the camera and changes that shade of light. I don't know. I really don't know. So so whoever uses this, they need to take that into consideration that there may be um, a percentage of error that, that they should consider, you know, before they start doing things like betting on baseball games or something like that, because I, I've been getting crazy good results sometimes and once in a while it'll just be totally opposite like opposite day or something that that could be a, a, a negative spirit too i was thinking because they just want to see someone do bad maybe you know so so that's kind of why i like ghost pro because you can take a picture of that area and if you have good looking spirits around then maybe do a, a prediction but if you've got, I don't know, things with horns and breathing fire and stuff like that, you may not want to, you know, trust everything that you're you're getting, you know. So I don't know. So what's one of the most amazing things that you that you've gotten? Are you going to be showing some of these pictures at the uh, at the conference? Yeah the 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 real the one of the most amazing things I already put up on on the Strange Realities Conference website. Mm-hmm. And it's that alien picture. I don't know if people are looking at it, but if you zoom into that, that is, and use your iPhone to do it because your iPhone shows all the shades of color, not not like a laptop where the, the colors could be bad, but use an iPhone or something to go to Strange Reality Conference website and look at that thing under the live ghost demonstration. That one photograph is an alien with like a trench coat on. He has a high collar. The collar's covering part of his face there. And he even has what looks like is a little child holding a little child on his chest. Then it's the craziest picture. That's one of the craziest ones. And his head looks um, egg-shaped. So he has like a taller head. And that kind of confirms some of the older alien discoveries where they have the elongated skulls and stuff like that. So I'm like, what the heck is that? So that, that's just one of the... You got an elongated skull alien? Yeah. 
if I'm, I put it up on that website. You could you be could you be viewing into like another dimension or something? Do you think that that might be a possibility that these could be like actual like living beings or just like on a different like physical or like plane than we are? Right, and that that is um, that is a definite possibility. So we could be, or they could be transmitting somehow. You know how we use radio waves. Maybe they're so advanced they use light waves. So that's what photons are, right? So we're seeing a live broadcast of them peeking into my world somehow, you know, because I don't think it's just a random thing because I don't see them all the time walking by. They're usually staring right at the camera or, or sideways. Like, like, like it's like they're posing for the picture. So I don't think they're in the room with me. That's the thing. I cannot, wrap my head around that there would be an alien and his baby in a room with me at the same time. That would just be too freaky, but I don't, you never know. Right. Or maybe you're just viewing into something, um, some, some other reality essentially. Right. Like yeah. we say, like, you know, like, I think I said something in the ad, like, uh, like redefining the fabric of reality. I mean, that, that, that seems to be like, that's how that, uh, that, uh, that, that what's going on here. Have you had any yeah. groups that, uh, I'm, I know you have, but have you had, to tell people that you've, some of the group, you've, you've worked with some ghost hunting groups out there and, right. you know, you've had, you know, what's some of the, uh, some of the reactions from other people, um, that you've, when you've gone to some of these investigations, how's the reaction been to the technology? Everybody likes it. The, the thing is when I go, I've been with, um, the, the ghost asylum guys and then, haunted travelers people and mm-hmm. a couple of others. And we, I went to some big ghost conventions in tenant or ghost hunting um, events in Tennessee. And um, they always make me part of it. They'll say, Joe, you go with so-and-so and work um, with the 10 people in these rooms. And so I would do it and everybody really loves it. But I think it's like, um, it's like someone's first time I don't know, tasting ice cream or something. They're like, wow, that's fantastic and good. But they don't know how it's made. They don't know anything about it. So, so they just, you know, I, I, I don't know. I think it's a long learning process because I'm trying to show people that the tech is, is affordable. It's only $3.99. They just need to use their iPhone. It's very affordable. It's just the technique that you use is the, the inspiring part. And they all like it, but no, I have not, I've seen just one other ghost hunting group try to use it in some of their stuff, but nobody seems to want to do it themselves. Like they're too scared or I'm not explaining it right. I don't, I'm not sure, but um, yeah, they, they always like it and they like the pictures coming from it, but, but they're, they're still stuck on wanting to use like a K2 meter and stuff. I'm like, guys, you need to combine your equipment put the K2 meter along with the photography and you're going to see, um, you're going to see aliens or spirits or whatever touching the meter. You're going to see it. I've seen combinations like that. And it's like the cooperative evidence is, right. is like fascinating. It's like, there is something there. So I'm sort of myself, I've sort of, I'm still taking photographs and things of spirits, but I'm, I'm kind of done myself proving that they exist because I know without shadow of doubt that they do exist. 
because it would be mathematically impossible for me to get this many photographs of this many things, you know, if it was random. So I'm, I'm kind of moving on to the intelligence part of it is I want to know now, you know, who am I really looking at and if they can help me further the technology or for maybe cure cancer, or do something that, you know, that pays the rent for, for the spirit. I've always said that the, if they're coexisting with us, why don't they help us pay rent and do chores and stuff like that? You know, maybe they, they are in their own little way, you know, like, you know, that, why would they need to though? That's the thing. I mean, if we're talking about like, like spirits, like it just, I'm, it just seems know, to me that they wouldn't, if you're non-corporeal, you just wouldn't have to do that. But if they, I guess if they I, want to help, right? Right, right. I'm just saying that they're, they, if they want to be a part of the human experience, they need to help out a little bit more. Because a lot of people are in dire straits nowadays. So, what, you know, and, and, and what about, like, these school shootings? Where are these spirits at? Where are the angels? You know, I'm getting pictures of them. I'm... I'm calling them out. I want the angels to protect the people if they can, you know, not just sit there and watch, you know, what you're trying to use this. You're trying to use this technology for good. Yeah, of course. So do you think this technology could be, you think it could be used for, for evil? um, Yeah. It's more of a, think about it as calling your gang members together. It's more of a communication thing. And it's more of a, uh, an emboldening device where where you can actually know you're talking to somebody, right? So so every day I know there's spirits around me. So I, I ask them, can you guys please get me more orders for my business? And I and I'm pretty successful. So I think they're like that. So so on the evil side, if somebody really wants to do harm, they could call up all of their little you know demon spirits and possibly get support on that end right so so it could be used in that way i guess so so do you think that they that they kind of like reflect you and like your own kind of like attitudes like you you're you're kind of more of a positive attitude do you feel like what you're picking up reflects that more of that positivity um yeah initially but it is actually your um your I guess your desire, because I could, I could easily say I want to look at the demon spirits, but I don't. You know, I I just want to look at good stuff. But you could, I guess, flip it around as much as you want. But the if you're if you're a negative person, I almost can guarantee it that I'll get negative ghost photos around you just because of that. You know, because it's like. You know, birds of a feather like to flock together. I'm sure the spirits like hanging around negative people. Oh, ultimately, it could be something that the person is projecting. Yeah, um, you you mentioned that to me before that you think it is just a mental. uh, It's just one of the possibilities. Yeah, I think that though it's more than that, and it's um, why is just because I'm not that creative. I wouldn't know how to make an alien spirit, and I wouldn't put them in a trench coat. It could be subconscious, though. Stuff. It could be subconscious, though. And right. it couldn't even be you. I mean, you know, I mean, you have a family, and it could be someone in your environment. Yeah, I don't. I really don't think so because I've asked for things 
like purposely asked to see a certain thing and I, I wouldn't see it. So why that should be in my subconscious and conscious at the same exact time. I'm, I'm thinking the exact same thing. Subconscious is more people overuse that term a lot, but it's more it keeps you breathing. That's what it's for. When you're sleeping, it keeps you breathing. So it's more of a uh, just a body motivation. It keeps your body, you know, functioning and stuff. I don't think it's, um, I don't, I don't, I really don't think it's that creative, but it, it could be more science needs to be done. But I really think that the ghosts and stuff are really there, especially when we're getting other evidence besides photographs, we're getting, you know, um, audio recordings and we're getting um light anomalies stuff like that and i don't know the i don't know there's there could be um i guess some kind of link to your neural network i guess and and photons themselves but i i wouldn't think it would show up on camera this good you know and and if i don't know i really don't no, and so um, in addition to you know explaining how it works, what you're going to do a demonstration, right? Yeah, the I'm I limited my talk to only thirty minutes, and the rest of the other thirty minutes, I'm going to invite um, people up on stage, and we're going to be able to hopefully get a ghost standing next to them. So if someone goes to this the conference and they have a passed on loved one that they want them to show and they're very sad that they died come on to the conference and we'll do it and i can't guarantee that your you know passed on loved one will be there but we're going to give it a good try and i i do guarantee we'll see something though because i always see something and um it's just it's fascinating once in a while we we have gotten um a couple of things where somebody asked for their little animal to show up and they would see a dog in the photograph and something that was pretty cool. So, but, but yeah, that was somebody that, that I guess that got in touch with you on Facebook or something, right? I think that that's how that happened. Yeah. And also, um, at some of these ghost hunts, I were at, I was at, I would do that with someone. I would say, ask for a pass on loved one to show, you know, and then they say, well, that one, that really looked like my dog. I wasn't thinking about that. So that could be more what you're talking about, Adam, is maybe their dogs and their subconscious or something. But, but it's I, just I'm another possibility. Sure. Yeah, it, it's fascinating. But just keep in mind that um, this is the first time, like when you come up to stage for the first time, this is experiment number one for you. You know, I'm on experiment number 2000 myself. So, so if something doesn't happen that day, take the technology with you and keep trying because it, there is something there. And mathematically, we're not just getting a black void, which we should because we're just shooting on a black surface, right? So we should just get shades of black only, nothing else. But we're getting humanoid figures coming through, and that's, that's plain mathematics. There's no, like, graphics involved or anything. So it's so interesting to me. The, um, the picture of the alien on the website, that is off of a, a semi-reflective surface, kind of like plastic. And 
there's no one in my room to reflect and look like an alien. That's the craziest thing. So I'm like, what am I looking at? You know, so stuff is happening. And I just want to share this with everybody. I just want everybody to use the tech for themselves and start a business around it maybe. Or, you know, there's so many avenues that this could lead into um, be beyond science even it could just be entertainment i was thinking you know why not bring up hitler and and ask him why he was such an asshole you know stuff like that it could be it could be a crazy sh- i i want to do that adam with if we get another podcast show let's bring up let's talk about the moon landing with the with the ghosts and see what they have to say you know so i want to do stuff like that Try to combine the conspiracy theory and the paranormal. I like it. All right, uh, Joe, tell everybody where they can find this technology and uh, contact you if they want to. Okay, um, just go to ghostpro.us, not not .com, but ghostpro.us, and then just go from that website. You can get all the links and stuff there. All right, excellent. Thank you, Joe, so much for doing this. And, uh, guys, well, we're going to be back with uh, yet another guest from the Strange Realities Conference 2019. We'll be back in a bit. Hi there. My name's Mark Anthony Wyatt, and um, Adam and Serfiel have invited me over from England to be at the Nashville Strange Realities Conference. I'm very proud to accept, and I'm going to do a talk called um, Cornwall, Creativity, and Supernatural. I hope to see you there. Tickets and info at www.strangerealitiesconference.com. $40 at the door, $30 pre-sale. Cool. Well, how you doing, sir? Yeah, pretty good. Um, had some really, um, well, yesterday I popped out to see, do you, have you, do you remember me talking about Michael Williams? The um, uh, paranormal investigator author writer he, he did everything he was everything really i think so yeah um, he, he died he died sort of um what was it end of january february time oh really to cut long story short his secretary rang me and said would you like to come out and go through michael's books and help yourself to any that you would like uh-huh and yeah amazing i mean i, I didn't i wasn't too greedy but um i picked up some amazing books Oh, nice. Which will help me with my talk, funnily enough. Oh, okay, cool. So, um, so, some of them are very old. I mean, really old. Sort of f- folklore stuff from way back. Yeah. And um, another book is a reprint of a sort of 1850 something book, which really? the book itself is like 1905, but it's a reprint of something from, I think, 1850 something. Okay, what's the book? And um, it's called, um, hang on, let's get. Footprints of Former Men in Far Cornwall by R.S. Hawker. Hawker is a massive character here in sort of Cornish history. Okay. He was like this sort of, we have a sort of reputation for having these sort of strange clerics. There's been like three or four of them. Yeah. And um, they they sort of do strange things and uh, sort of like Victorian times, most of them really. Uh, he was one of them. But he he was an amazing character, and he lived on a on the coast at, in the north of Bude, sort of about 
10 miles away, I suppose. Very, very extreme cliffs, you know, hundreds of feet high, jagged rocks. Hundreds of people used to die on that coast all the time, you know. Hmm. And he was like this priest that lived, his church and his uh, mans were just at the top of the cliffs. And he used to lower himself down on ropes and basically pick up the pieces. They called them gobbets. And if there were any survivors, he would help them too. So, yeah, it's an amazing character. And this is his book, and um, it mentions a lot of stuff, that, a lot of the history side that's in my book. Oh, nice. Sorry, I'm, I'm yeah. rabbiting on. I'm rabbiting on already, aren't I? Sorry. You know, you know when you really get into cool. his stuff, it's just when the stuff's in your head and you're doing the research, yeah. it's just like. I think we've already started. Well, you know, we have, have we? (laughs) Yeah, it's 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 interesting when you're doing something and you're doing that research, and then all of a sudden, like you know, the these books just kind of seem to just come to you. They they do they do. I mean, I've heard of that. I've heard of that phenomenon before, where just like this kind of stuff, weird synchronicities like that. I think Colin Wilson actually talks about stuff like that. You know, he does. He 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 sort of he's mentioned in my book a few times actually. Oh yeah, because he was right there in Cornwall. He was. He he was on the other coast, which is, you know, it's such a small place. It's not far away. It's probably, yeah. I suppose, half an hour away, I suppose, from where I am now. Uh, yeah. He lived in a place, I think I think it was Gorenhaven, I believe, just a tiny little village. He he wasn't from Cornwall, but like like most of the writers that have come here and all the artists, they, they come from elsewhere, most of them, not all of them, right. but a lot of them do. It's It's got a reputation. Cornwall's had a reputation for about, I don't know, 200 years maybe of artists coming here because of the light. There's like a special quality of light here, which is, you know, there's, there's debates as to how that light is created. But it's it seems to be that because we're a narrow peninsula and we've got the sea on either side, it seems to be some sort of reaction from the sun bouncing up the water and on either side. <laughs> you know, this is what people think. Um, but the artists have all come here, you know, and they try to capture it. And uh, yeah, you know, it's like Cornwall being such a kind of it's a, it's a remote corner kind of. I mean, is it kind of like a place mm. of refuge for a lot of people? It is in some ways, yeah. I mean, people, it, it's difficult to explain it to somebody, you know, to anybody who doesn't really live in Britain, probably. I mean, most people in England don't really get it, to be honest. Hmm. Um, but it's a place where people have always sort of flocked to, to get away from the mainstream sort of, you know, the southeast corner and so on. Yeah. And the, and the industrial towns, they, they sort of head west. It's, it, you know, it's a bit, it's almost like got that American feel to it, like everyone's sort of heading west across, you know. Yeah. It's like going towards the sun setting or something. I don't know what it is. Hmm. But it, um, it, it pulls people in. I mean, so many big names. I mean, this is my my book. Actually, it's a bit a bit confusing, but I've had to split it. There was too much stuff in it. Yeah, and I, I ended up splitting it, which is what I'm doing now, and I'm, I'm almost done. And sort of split it into two halves of Cornwall as approximately as possible. So you've got all these sort of UFO ghosts and all the legends and everything, and and all the sort of um, the history that goes alongside it. And there's, there's a lot more to it than that. But 
but there's another side of it which I wanted to get over, which is quite difficult to marry it into that material sometimes. So eventually I've come up with having two volumes of sort of paranormal experiences which people have gave me, to, you know, contributed. And the third volume will be the one that I'm really, I'm still digging into it now. And it's the third one that really has my, well, I'm far more interested in the third volume, to be honest, and I love the experiences. But the third volume is about the creativity and how that might relate. You know, it, it's it's like it could be something like you, you mentioned Colin Wilson. Yeah. Colin Wilson sort of wondered whether it was the granite. There's excessive granite down here. And he wondered if it was the granite that was somehow influencing the paranormal events. Um, I, I don't think that's the whole answer. I mean, I really don't. But. It, it does play a part because most of the big sort of um, hauntings and so on that everyone knows about are in areas of high granite. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned that because Tennessee, there's some people who said like, well, Tennessee's got a lot of ghosts and a lot of legends and lore and stuff. And uh -huh. a lot of people have said, I've, I've heard people actually say that, you know, Tennessee's so haunted because we have so much limestone. So oh, right. I've heard this rock kind of theory of hauntings. Yeah, it goes into times. this yeah. whole kind of magic of place ideas and, yeah. and what are the environmental influences and geological things we've been talking about a whole lot lately. Yes. Right, right. Yeah. Well, let me introduce you real quick, Mark. We've got Mark Anthony Wyatt, guys, and he's going to be speaking also at our Strange Realities Conference here on October 19th, which we are pretty much down to the wire. So if you guys... Get your tickets. <laughs> That's all I'll say for now, but because uh, it's because it's going to be a great one. Um, Mark, welcome back to Conspiracy Normal Man. It's always good to have you. Um, Thank you, Adam. Thanks you, for asking me on. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. absolutely. We we kind of do um, our classic. Thank thing you, now. Sir. You too. You're very welcome. Yeah, we're kind of doing our classic thing now of just going straight into interviews. So we don't even really do any introductions. But so, for anybody so did, that's never heard you before, I wanted to make uh -huh. sure they knew who you were. So oh, Okay. So, so this has been running for about 10 minutes already, yeah? <laughs> yeah <I think> so. <laughs> something like that. Something like that. Can you edit the swearing out at all? <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't hear any swearing, but... Um, no, no, not this time. But... Uh, yeah, I mean, so you right now are in England, specifically Cornwall, yep. That's and right. you are going to be back here in the States and joining us at the on conference the, on the 19th. Yes, I, I'm coming back a few days before, Yeah, and I'm hoping they're going to let me in. I, I hope they let you in too, Mark. You know, they might hear that you're going to speak at the Strange Realities Conference. Yeah, there. I know, I know. Yeah, I'm I'm going to have a promo poster, um, just a small one in my wallet, just so I can sort of say, look, I've got to come in. Oh, don't put us on the radar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, now we get to now we get to be known by the Department of Homeland Security here. Right? So, but uh, well, I, I was unlucky there about I, I don't know. As you know, I come and go quite a lot. Yeah, and. They give you this thing called an ESTA, where British citizens go into America. If uh, it's not like a full visa, but it's it gives you ninety days. And um, I've never I'd never had a problem for near enough three years. I've never had a problem coming in and out. You know, 
I'd occasionally be asked, you know, they ask you questions like, what are you going to do when you're here? And, you know, what's your, what's your job? How are you earning money to um, keep, keep you here, you know? Sure. And uh, most of the guys, I mean, most of it, I've tried coming in different places. Most of them are just very, you know, they're good fun. They're just doing a job they have to do. And, you know, as I say, most of them are great. But there's one particular guy, he must have had a bad night. And um, it was in Chicago. So it could be that he had a lot of, <laughs> maybe he had a lot of Irish blood in it and he, and he just didn't like English people. <laughs> I, I don't know. It, it could have been that. Because I, I know that over Very there. Very true, yeah. I, yeah, I've actually learned that. when I've, in, in It's like we, we have, you know, I'm, I'm <laughs> a bit close to the bone talking about this, but I've known Irish people all my life in England who, who live here. Yeah, they are just they're just like me. They're, they're, you know, I've actually got Irish DNA anyway, so some. But it's we don't think any different of them, and they generally don't think any different of us on a, on a everyday basis. You know, they're just our friends. They're just our mates. We, you know, and we tease each other. And but when I went to America, I met people in Illinois. Lovely, lovely people. Uh, one of them were, was from Scots Irish um, ancestry. Yeah, I've got that and, in me too. Yeah. yeah, but basically, what's happened is, is I'm not sure if I can explain this properly, but when they went over there, sort of two, three hundred years ago, um, they sort of took <laughs> they took the culture that they had, they took the dislike that they had with them. And it's never changed. It hasn't evolved. It's just, and he admitted this. He said, well, you know, uh, even down to the language, they use a form of like Elizabethan English. It hasn't, it was like in the Appalachians. Yeah. I probably yeah. said that wrong. Yeah. But no, you said they right. didn't yep. really change that much. They, because they were sort of untouched by outside influences when they were in there, I think. But they have not, Whereas in England, the language has evolved into something completely different now. I mean, you, you can see that on the media if you watch an old film from wartime, you know, that the way they speak is very, very posh, you know, on the TV, on the films. And uh, <laughs> but it, it's completely different now. Whereas I think when it went over there to America, it, it sort of stayed much the same. So, and I think all their old animosities were sort of part of their you know it's sort of like their folklore almost like passed down through generations so it was quite strange having all these remarks thrown at me just in fun i mean it was all in jest yeah yeah from yeah. from you know and i'm sort of thinking well i don't know what the big deal is because i've i've never had a problem with that in my life well, living here the scots irish are they're they're a little bit of an earlier but then you've got an earlier movement. They were but then, planted, weren't they? But then later on, uh, later yeah, the yeah the Ulster men, yeah. Later on, the 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 main Irish immigration, the huge oh, Irish immigration the was yeah from the potato yeah. famine and yeah. and all that, and that's where and those guys really distrusted Britannia. That's they, right. They really that's hated right. them. You, you really, in some ways, like the way the government handled that in the 1840s was basically just let them starve. Yeah. That's yeah, why, that's why, you know, the Irish were such a, um, mm -hmm. a propaganda tool for like the Germans in world war one here in the United States, yes. because the Irish were yeah. really against Britain, you know, just like, just yeah, I've heard all the stories so. about, 
Yeah, they they had submarines pulling up on their coast, and yeah, they were going to yeah. a pub. And <laughs> yeah, well, the Irish, the Irish here were were you know subject to that to that kind of propaganda. Well, let's switch over to what you're going to talk about in this. Um, yeah, in the really conference. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm sort of working on a on a talk now, um, and it's it's what we were sort of talking about sort of five minutes ago. Really, it's I, I want to get more into. There's so so if you imagine Cornwall, I think you can sort of picture the shape of it. It's like the the heel at the extreme west of what what you know as England. It's like the extreme little pointy bit at the end of southwest. Um, but if you now go to the very end of that, which is where I am now, there's a place called uh, they 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 divide it. You know, like England's divided divided up into counties, and this down in Cornwall, it used to be called, they were called hundreds. I'm not quite sure. I think it's hundred or whatever. I don't know what it was, but they called them hundreds. And I am in what they used to call the Penworth hundred. But now it's just like a, like a, I don't know, like a local government region, I suppose now. But it's, it's a fantastic area. It's very similar. Like you mentioned about the potato blow and all that. Well, they had the same problems here. You know, the Cornish had those problems as much as the Irish did. Sort of, if you go back even further, it, it's very much, you know, the, the Celtic people have been here for centuries. Yeah. Because they were, that, they were they, always they, pushed out to the periphery by the Anglo-Saxons. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. The Sa Saxons pushed them out, didn't they? So, um, and, and, and that took centuries. I mean, it took absolute centuries to actually eventually sort of to put them into what the, like, wherever Welsh are now. Um, and the Cornish and the Welsh, of course, were, you know, cousins or similar tribes that just got split at Bristol, basically, I suppose. One went sort of north into Wales. Where, and uh, I think it was, they called them, oh, they've had so many different names over the years. West Wallace, I think that was, yeah, we were called, Cornwall was called West Wallace, I think, which is like, obviously, turned out to be Wales in the end. And they would have been just Wallace, I think. I might, I might be wrong on that. Um, but there, there's, you know, this this long history of cow, of cows here. And my own family, my cousins down here, they are sort of original Celts. And you can see just by looking at my certain members of my family that they are not English. I mean, they're just not English. And um, there's there's a complete difference in the way they look. Um, there's a certain type that you see, and you see it in Brittany too, because Brittany's connected uh, in the southwest of France. Yeah, they were another Celtic tribe that escaped yeah, back to the they, continent. They, yeah, that's right. They came from. I think they were beaten out from here in the fourth or fifth centuries, probably, and just left and went over there. And they, and Brittany was just like a New England, if you like, before New England. Something like that. <laughs> How would you describe that that different look? Um, they tend to be. I mean, I, I, I travel this. I'm just generalising, really. Mm -hmm. But that there's a mixture of them. I mean, some of them are quite big people. Um, others are quite sort of small and um, red hair. Red hair is one of the things. Well, you don't see it everywhere, but you there's a there's a certain um, facial characteristic. Um, we're getting into <laughs> racist probe. Um, what do you call it? Profiling here now. I mean, it's not meant that way. It's just that I, I see these things. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, I mean, if you if you look at the if you look at the rugby teams, you know, if you look at the, you can possibly see that maybe. You look at the Welsh and Cornish, and then look at the English. Um, although, I think it was, um, I think uh, have you heard of Alan Wilson? He's like a, I, I'm not sure if he's still around actually, but he, he's getting on a bit now. But he, he's a fantastic sort of independent historian. And he once said, uh, you know, there's all this sort of sort of pigeonholing, like, you know, somebody say, well, I'm Welsh, and somebody else will say, I'm Scottish, and somebody else will say, well, I'm English, and so on. Um, but it's been a big sort of melting pot of all of us, and we're all related. You know, we've all got, I mean, I had my DNA done, and I, I thought I was, well, I knew, I, I obviously knew I was English, but, um, I, my family, as far as I'm aware, came over with uh, the, the Wyatt line. I think came over with William the Conqueror. Oh, so they were Nor. So they might have been Normans, huh? Yeah. yeah. So they and they originally came from the Danelands, didn't they? The Vikings to to go to France. Yep. Um. So, but then there's also so when I had a DNA done, I wasn't surprised to see French, lots of French links in there. Um, I was connected with people in sort of the south of North America, like the Everglades sort of region, and also up around Canada, of course, there's a lot there. So I, I was aware of all that French sort of side to it. Okay, so is that like, a, like the Cajuns? Or... Yeah, I okay. believe so. Right. Yeah, yeah. But I, I was really quite shocked to find I had Irish DNA as well, hmm. which is... Um, you know, it's quite cool, really. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But that's the whole point of what I'm trying to say is that it's like we're all interrelated and all this tribalism is just silly, really. But it's interesting, but it's silly to, you know, always flag flying, I think. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I don't think a lot of people that don't understand, I guess, British history is that just how many successive waves of invasions yeah. Britain went through mm. for centuries upon centuries and how much mixture there is from yeah. so many different places. It sort of, but it sort of stopped, didn't it, about a thousand years ago? Yeah, oh, yeah. Can't do, can't do the maths that quick, but it's what, 10, 10, uh, what was it, 1066? Yeah, 1066, yeah. yeah. Well, and is, yeah, is that yeah. one of the things that distinguishes Cornwall is that there's uh, more of a, I guess, less of a Roman influence? Yeah, they, they, when they, yeah, it's quite difficult to explain it, but they had, they, the Romans were in Exeter, which is sort of on the border. It's, it's, it's in Devon, uh, which is like the, the next county over, if you want, you know. Um, but, but they had been mixing in with the, the Celtic tribes. So the Celts and the Romans were sort of all mixed in together, really. And they were fighting against the incoming Saxons who were sort of pushing them, like Adam said, pushing them further and further to the west. Sort of one 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 lot went towards Wales and the other lot down into Cornwall. Well, it was Devon and Cornwall at one time. But um, I think it was Ethelred. Was it Ethelred? I'm trying to think of his name now. He, he was just like an ethnic cleanser. I mean, a terrible, terrible character. And he was just basically murdering, and he made it law that you could actually kill a Cornishman. Hmm. This was around, I think this was, I'm not sure of the dates, but it's like 
seven, eight hundred around that time. Um, so I mean, there's always been that, and then and then the deal was I forget the name now, I forget the date now. The deal was that they would have what was beyond the Tamar, the River Tamar, which is really where the border is now. But it, it mostly follows the River Tamar. I think it's about ninety miles from north to south, but it doesn't quite. It doesn't quite join up the seas. There's like it's a couple of miles far north where it where the border sort of goes sort of haywire a bit, but you know, the, the river doesn't rise until it's slightly in that if you if you see what I mean. So that was where they were pushed. They were pushed beyond that natural barrier. And it, and they've stayed you know, we've stayed there. We say we I live here now, but <laughs> they've stayed there ever since and there's been those divisions. But what's happened over the centuries as far as I can see, is that gradually with, you know, the modern, modern age, they got more and more sort of anglicised. But, you know, just by the culture, really. But they, they're still very, very independent and very, very much their own people. I mean, if you ask somebody, I'm not sure about everybody, but if you asked a lot of them what their nationality was, they'll say Cornish first and British or maybe a European second, that you they won't most of them won't say English. I mean some do, some do. But um yeah, so they they're very different different people, you know. And uh, as I say, I've got a sort of foot in both camps really. So I sort of I, I love the Gorge myself. So what what else other subjects are you gonna be talking about in the um at the conference, Mark? Um, well, we've, I'm thinking about the, um, you know, I can, I can tell a few of the experiences that have been sent to me, which are fascinating. I mean, we've got, I mean, it's just like random stuff, really, but it's all sort of linked. Um, we have, in the far north of Cornwall, we have this um, GCHQ base. I don't know if I mentioned this before, uh, which is basically a NSA, CIA, and MI5 facility. And... Um, have you heard of GCHQ at all at um, Cheltenham? I have heard sort of the name. Yeah, I've heard of the name of GC, GCHQ. What yeah. is it? Uh, yeah. Do you know what it's what, like? What does it's, it it's essentially a spy station. It's um, it keeps an eye on all communications around the world. And um, so, so we've got the big one north of London, and we've got this other one down in Cornwall. And quite interesting. I mean, there's there's a lot to a lot to be you know. Like, you know, it's, it's a fascinating subject in itself. But one of my friends was actually on a um, like a woodland survival course quite near that base. This is back in the nineties, and uh, I won't spoil. I'll tell you the whole story. But he, that they've got these massive dishes. You know, like you get these big early warning dishes and um, sort of listening dishes. I don't know what that technical term is. Um, and he was just in these neighboring fields and woods with a few people on this course. And he noticed how, you know, as it was getting darker at the end of this beautiful summer's day, it was getting darker. All the lights came on on this base. It's a quite a big base. And he was just struck by how beautiful it looked, you know, these fantastic lights were all glowing and, you know, so he grabbed his camera and just took a few random pictures. <laughs> as he was taking these pictures, he said he felt a shiver go up his spine like he, he, there was just something not right. 
and within seconds these jets two jets came over from the south heading north sort of heading over towards wales and he he you know he didn't mean much to him at the time he just um well the, the situation developed he didn't see anything apart from these jets uh, he felt well, there was a light in the woods that started sort of coming down towards him, but he couldn't see anybody with the lights. It's like this weird light. He got spooked by this because he, he was on his own at the time and he felt there was something not quite right, like he was being watched and so on. So he hurried back to his um, colleagues and decided he wouldn't mention it to them. They, they had just um, put out their campfire and were just turning in for the night. And he couldn't sleep all night. He felt something was around the camp that they had just watching them, which is highly unlikely I mean, that people would do that, you know. And um, the next morning he... Oh, yeah, so he uploaded the pictures. And uh, to his surprise, there was a, a UFO. It was, I think there were only three pictures. And in the middle one, just in that one, there was like this sort of classic shape UFO sat over the top of the base, which is quite amusing really given that they're supposed to be <laughs> spying on everybody else and you know they've got all this equipment to listen in because i mean i'm sure they do do you know they probably do watch what's out there as well as what's you know not just china and russia it's probably up there too and there it was watching them <laughs> and this is this but, giant um, this giant circular complex well no it was more of a um, if you can imagine like the old, uh, what was his name? The, uh, the I'm trying to think of that guy from the sort of early 60s, the classic shape. He claimed to have all these meetings with aliens. Meyer? Yeah. The guy in Switzerland. Yeah. Yeah, that's the one I can't think. Um, so they were sort of that, sort of vaguely that shape, but it was very blurred. Like a hub, um, hubcap. Yeah, yeah, and, and I mean, it didn't look huge. It didn't look huge. To but this fair. was above it, it the did. the complex itself, though. That is, this yeah, giant it was actually sitting, sitting above it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, as I say, the actual disc itself wasn't didn't look big, but it was definitely something. And and, and as you said, uh, at the time that you took that picture, the the skies were it was it was getting dark, but there was there was nothing in the skies apart from these two jets, which had sort of came by. Um, and I actually put this, I mean, I, I put it through my own sort of, uh, sort of basic editing that you can get on there, you know, on your average laptop just to try and see what it was and enhance it. But when I say enhance it, I don't mean, um, change it. I mean, just sort of change the colors so that you could see if there was something there and there definitely is something there. Um, and it, while I was looking into, I was just basically um, writing out his witness account, really. And you said earlier when we first started talking how these things just drop in your lap sometimes, the information that you need or, um, to to sort of add to your writing or whatever. Um, well, that, that's exactly what happened. And. Uh, there was a, a documentary I was browsing on YouTube one day, and there's a documentary by a guy. Are you still there, Adam? Because it's gone oh, yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, still, I'm, I'm yeah. still here. I'm still here. No. So, so, so a guy was. Um, there's a guy. He's absolutely obsessed with telecommunications. 
you can find this on YouTube. And he was sort of going around England and Cornwall. He went eventually went down into Cornwall, and he was just he was able to tell what sort of cables by the actual cast iron manhole covers that were in the roads and you know pavements and so on. And he was able to show, and it's, it sounds like a really tedious thing, but actually it wasn't. <laughs> he 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 came down to Cornwall. And I was blown away by the, by the knowledge this guy had of this stuff. And I, I knew certain bits of it. Like, for example, down here, about 10 miles away from where I am now, there's a place called Porth Kerno. And Porth Kerno is it's like a, this really beautiful, rocky little beach. And alongside it is, a, is an open-air theatre, which is another story. That's an amazing place. And it's sort of built on the side of the cliffs, literally. And just off that beach, there's a um, there's an old beach hut, and there's a plaque there, and so on. And it's to do with Marconi, because Marconi sent the cables out from that beach to go to America, and obviously back again. And obviously, since those days, you know, technology's gone through the roof, hasn't it? It's like everything's changed with these fiber optics and so on. Now. I'm sort of going off subject here a bit, but this that information about the UFOs and stuff, they tend to be seen around the places. Well, they get seen everywhere, I suppose. But they do get seen a lot around these places where the cables leave our beaches. Okay. And the information that's going through those cables, as the guy said, and it, there's, there's some sort of just a general traffic between, you know, people like me and you chatting across the Atlantic. But there's also a lot of um, sort of government, um, sort of private lines, if you like, literally private, private. And you've got links between the prime minister and and the cabinet and the, the American equivalent, you know. So... What I would say is that a lot of those cable that's obviously highly delicate information, a lot of that stuff that's going back and forth. Now, these these discs, quite often the sort of discs, flying sources, whatever you want to call UFOs, are sometimes seen around those areas quite frequently, really. So perhaps they may be listening, they may be reading communications, who knows? Um, it just seems, a, a, and the other thing is, there's always been this, um, there's so many old stories. In fact, it's not not just old stories. One of one of the guys who contributed, well, a couple actually, to the book, were fishermen. Uh, they go out to sea off of this coast around here, and they have had sort of missing time experiences when they've been fishing. Some of them just fish off the beach, like beach casting, and some go out in the boat. And there's, there's a few stories. Now, that also ties in to the same area, exactly the same area. So another thing that might be going on, it could be EMF coming out of these cables, which may affect people that are in the vicinity, like the fishermen. Because there's so many cables leaving. It's not just one beach. This comes, um, there's one near Land's End, uh, White Sand Bay, I think it is. Then you've got Port of Kerno. Then if you go further up, to where I used to live in Bude, in the north coast, further up about, I suppose, an hour and a half away. 
there's quite a few um, very important sort of unmarked buildings in the town, top of the town, where a lot of this sensitive information comes and goes. Um, so, so basically, you know, finding that video and finding all that information, it sort of fitted in with what I was writing about. And it just sort of landed on my, <laughs> just randomly landed. And I thought, Whoa, it's just all connected. part of the general kind of milieu of Cornwall and what's going on. Yeah, and yeah. it is, it's very hard. As I'm speaking, I, I know it's, it's <laughs> I, I hope I'm not sounding like I'm rambling, I probably am. But it's because there's so much going on here, yeah, and there's yeah. so many aspects to it. But it's difficult to put it over, um, which is why I write books because I'm I can write a lot clearer than I can speak because um, I can I'm more methodical when I write. It, you see what I mean? Sure. There's a beginning and an end. But. We've talked a lot about um, places like Skinwalker Ranch and just these these weird places yeah. that have a lot of different kind of paranormal events going on and it's all just different types of phenomenon but it all it's like gathers in the same place do you feel like Cornwall is one yeah. of those places yes I would say it probably is I mean but again it might be I don't know what that Skinwalker Ranch is that tied to granite at all or Limestone. Um, I don't know. We don't know about That's the a geology. Good question, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's yeah. actually it's it's a part of a huge basin. I'm not sure the geology we were studying yeah. for a while. No, right. But then I yeah. wanted to say that a lot of these places also have these strange military interests. Right. Right. Yes. So Rendlesham yeah. is another place that you know is weird because you yeah. have the famous UFO, the famous UFO event of Rendlesham, but a lot of people don't realize yeah. that. That's not the only weird thing that has happened in Rendlesham. Rendlesham's a weird, weird place. Yeah, I, I've read a couple of books on that. I, I read the one that was withdrawn. <laughs> yeah, Peter. Yeah, yeah, Peter um, Robbins left yeah. at Eastgate. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I think there's something to be said for that. I mean, I, I've read quite a few. Bit, I mean, a couple of my friends from down here went up to you know, it's like the other side of the country. Uh, they they did a trip up there, and they said it was a really amazing place. Very very strange, very creepy. But you know, despite what happened with that book, and you know all the kind of stuff about Larry mm. Warren, I mean, Peter, I mean, has been there many times, and he's had his own weird yeah. experiences there. I mean, he'll tell you about them. You know, oh, I mean, it's yeah. just it's just, a, and, and other people have said, you know, just like there's just a sordid weirdness out there in that yeah. forest, and yeah. it, you know, it it really makes you think. And Cornwall's big on this. I, I understand. You know, I mean. And I'm sure I, that's why I'm, I'm excited for you and Josh well, to meet because, you know, they talk about like the fairy lore kind of stuff. I mean, that's all over the place. It is. It is. I mean, I, I've, I've written quite a lot on that. Um, the knockers I found fascinating. But, um, I mean, the thing about, I don't know if you know about the knockers, <laughs> but I, I understand knockers means something else over there as well. So. <laughs> Yeah, I think you got Tim and all yeah, excited used, on the, the chat there. So, yeah, it used to mean similar things here, but I know my my dad's generation. Uh huh. <laughs> they would they would they would have used that term for the other thing, but uh, maybe. But um, <laughs> yeah, no, they were like um, little I, I don't know, sort of gnome like figures, like tiny tiny men, if you like, and the miners would hear this tapping which is where the knocking comes from and there was like a so, some some miners felt that they were like good-natured and there to help you 
and in fact, there's there's quite a few instances on record where they did help, supposedly. And then there's others that sort of suggest they're like these sort of mischievous sort of, um, you know, like um, bad fairies sort of trying to lure them into trouble, you know. Um, and, and and as I say, you you go either way with it because it both both there's stories on both sides of that. But what I found interesting was how the the Cornish emigrated in huge numbers during I think sort of sort of seventeen hundred up to I suppose ninety the early nineteen hundreds, and they went literally all over the world. And there's Cornish mines, sort of Cornish built sort of engine houses and ventilation towers and Wesley halls and all this sort of stuff, churches, everything, all over, you know, Mexico. You you actually see it, I think, on that uh, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kids uh, film. Um, and, and and it's like the if you if we go back to the Irish, the Irish are mentioned in in all sort of Hollywood films and just for general culture. You everybody knows about the Irish. Everybody knows about where they came from and. And, and you know you have St Patrick's Day and like Chicago, it, it's just I've been told Chicago's amazing on St Patrick's Day. You know they turn the river green. Or yeah, something. yeah, yeah. So, so everyone knows about the Irish, but Cornish are just like they're very similar, but they're very very small, and they haven't got that same um, uh, presence, if you like. They they've got it, but they haven't. Then it's not out there for other people don't know who they are mostly. You know, you can mention the Cornish in America, and unless you're from a Cornish community, you're not going to know who they are, you know. Um, but they're literally all over the world. And um, yeah, so as I say, Mexico, Chile, New Zealand, Australia, Bolivia, you know, all, all North America. I've, I've been to two Cornish towns in America. Really? Um, yeah, Grass Valley in Arizona, not Arizona, um, California. Okay. Yeah, Grass Valley in California. Interesting. Uh, Mineral, Mineral Point in um, Wisconsin. Are there particular surnames? Yeah, yeah. And, and it's it's incredible. If we come back to what we said earlier about how they look very distinctive, I was in um, Mineral Point in Wisconsin. And we wanted, we already knew that, I mean, there's flags, there's Cornish flags flying everywhere. And it was really strange just seeing that in America, you know. And the, the town was built more like a, an English or Cornish town. It wasn't anything like anything I'd seen in the rest of America up to that point. Uh, it was because it was built by Cornishmen, most of it, you know. Mm -hmm. And all the, all the big names there now, you know, the population is mostly Cornish to this day. So we went to a Italian restaurant in the evening to have this, like, really good oven-baked pizza. And there was a young lady behind the bar serving us. And she asked me where I was from, and of course I told her. And she said, she she got really quite excited, and she said, oh, I'm, I'm Cornish, she said, and... um she was about 16, I think, and she said, I'm going there next summer. Um, and it's evidently, that's what all the young people in this area do. They save their money when they're at college or whatever, and then they have this trip to the homeland, which is literally just <laughs> Cornwall, not England. You know, it's not England, it's Cornwall. Yeah, <laughs> they don't right. care about yeah. London. Right. And then, and then they go back again, having done it, you know. And, uh, and, and the weird thing about that girl was, 
she was she could have passed for the sister of one of my nieces down here in St. Ives. And oh, and I forgot to mention she had the same surname as my cousins here. Um, the Cornish surnames, not all of them, but some of them begin with TRE. Hmm. Um, and, and they are a true borrow, which is, you know, obviously where that comes from. There's a rhyme uh, by Trey, Pole, and Penn, Ye Shall Know the Cornish Men. And basically, they're saying any surname between a TRE, PEN, or POL. Yeah, that's where Penzance, you know, Penzance. Yeah, that means yeah. holy headland. Huh. There's, that's another story in itself. That means there's a whole, I mean, I think we touched on this once before. We talked about the Jesus legends coming to Cornwall. Right. And I've, yeah. du I've dug into that a lot. I, I am now pretty much convinced, but yeah, I think he did. I've, I've seen enough to convince myself. Yeah, that, a lot of that's associated with, I think, Joseph of Arimathea and the, yeah. being a tin merchant and Cornwall that's being right. a huge source of tin. Yes, yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. There, there's several places around Cornwall. I mean, I think there's probably between six and ten actual places which have links to the Middle East in terms of the name or... Um, Oh, there's just so there's just so many little stories but the thing is those places weren't really connected if you go back century those places weren't really connected because everyone lived quite small in their own area didn't they um and yet those stories have survived there's a lot of legends about influence from from other maritime cultures right like the phoenicians even if that's just a that's legend. right yeah that was prior to the couch you see the, the um I mean, it's quite amusing in some in some ways because, like, people will say, you know, people will say to me, "Well, I'm, I'm a cow." You know, my family have been here for hundreds of years, and, and I, I have to smile because, like, even they weren't the first. Right, right, <laughs> right, right, right. It's like, from what I can gather, there was this like um, sort of out of the Middle East. I mean, I don't know much about it, but they came out of the Middle East and they sort of settled around. West Country, and I've even heard that the county I was born in, which is in the southeast of England, which is called Surrey, I, I, I remember Alan Wilson, a historian, talking about it, and he he suggested, I can't remember what his, <laughs> his reasoning for it was, but he suggested it came from Syria or Assyria. That's interesting. Yeah, I mean, I can't remember what his reasons were, but well, like the people that built Stonehenge, I mean, they weren't Celts; they were way before no. the Celts even came to the, to Britain. You know? Yeah, yeah. It, it's just such a big subject, isn't it? It's like you know, I yeah. don't, I don't think we can ever really, even even these guys who dig really, really deep into it and spend years on it. I, you know, we're never going to really know, are we? It's just. It's just something we can talk about, and it's interesting, but I don't think we'll ever really know. Well, American-wise, um, this is interesting. The Cornish-American, um, Mark Twain, actually. Yes, um, yeah, yeah. The Samuel Clemens, yeah. the, they were from, I guess, L-O-O-E, Lou, I guess? I don't know. I, oh, that's right, yeah, 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 yeah. Is that how you spell it? How you say it? Yeah, yeah. it's, it's um, strangely enough, that's next door to a place called um, Liscard. And um, just this morning, 
Janice was saying to me, oh, Lisgard sounds a bit Danish. <laughs> I don't know if it is. I've no idea. But, um, yeah, I mean, and all of these coastal communities would have had visitors from elsewhere, you know. I mean, Pen Penzance was raided by the Spanish um, in the you know, 1500s during the, you know, days of Yamada. And they, they came ashore in Cornwall and basically burnt, I think they burnt a place called Paul, um, uh, trying to think, Mausel, Newlyn, they're all like little places along that coast there. And then they, they basically did a lot of damage, burnt a lot of places. And then they, then the English came out of Portsmouth up in the southeast. They'd heard about it from the, I suppose, from the old uh, bonfires on hills communication. <laughs> and they came down the English Channel to intercept them. And when they saw them coming, they basically did a runner. Cause <laughs> and yeah, well, we know what happened to the Amalda. Yeah. <laughs> Change history. It didn't end. It didn't end well, did it? No. Not for the, yeah, not I for find the that fascinating. No, <laughs> no, that's right. Yeah, we could be. We could all be speaking Spanish, wouldn't we? Yeah. Well, Mark, <laughs> this has been fascinating, man. Thank you so much. Um, where can people find your stuff? Um, when are the books going to be out? And where can people find you on October nineteenth? Okay. <laughs> Right. Yeah, but the book should be out any time now. I've literally got very, very near, near completing them now. I'm, go I'm going to release two volumes of a series of three, and the third one I'm still working on. Cool. And if they just contact me on um, my – um, just – yeah. just for, for, I actually haven't got a website. <laughs> it's not very professional. I haven't got a website at the moment. Um, I think – just try to contact me on Facebook and make contact that way for now. But I, I will be setting up a proper Amazon account. So yeah, I can be able to buy it on Amazon. I'm trying to get it in, trying to get the books into Barnes and Noble. Okay. Nice. And Waterstones as well. That's, that's my plan. And um, yeah, I shall be at the, was it the Sir Studios in Nashville? SIR. In October. It does look SIR. like Sir, yeah. yeah. It does, yeah. You're the only and one. Strange realities conference. You're the only one of the speakers that's actually been there before. So <laughs> that's strange, isn't it? <laughs> the English one, and he's the only one who's been there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We had a good day there. It was a great day. Yep. Yeah, I, I was most impressed when I'd heard who'd been there. I think uh, King, Kings of Leon had been there, and Mike Nesmith. I was impressed by that more than the Kings of Leon, to be honest. But yeah. My age. yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of uh, a lot of uh, famous people actually have lockers there that they keep stuff in, and yeah, oh, it's, right. an, it's a it's an interesting place. But yes, you will be with us at the Strange Realities Conference 2019. Okay, so I hope I didn't ramble on too no, too much. No, you you, <laughs> you you were fine. Uh, stay in the line for us, real quick, Mark. We're gonna close out this section. But guys, right. we'll be back with the last but not least person that we're gonna have at the Strange Realities Conference. Hey, I'm Ty Malone in Roswell, New Mexico. Looking forward to seeing Adam and all of us. I will be doing a talk called Roswell 1947, What Really Happened, that I've done here often in Roswell. And uh, I don't get lynched or booed, but I provide evidence that the world-famous Roswell crash was made in the USA, that it was a man-made event, not extraterrestrial in origin. Tickets and info at www.strangerealitiesconference.com. $40 at the door, $30 pre-sale.
Guy, you are going to be here with us on October 19th at the yeah. Realities Conference. I'm excited. Thanks for bringing me back to Nashville. Any excuse to go to Nashville, I'll take it, man. Yeah, man. And really, <laughs> congratulations. I know it's been a dream for you. This is something I might say at the conference, but for years you've been wanting to do this. I'm so happy for you Thank that you. you're doing it finally and that I'm part of it, too. I'm honored. You got yeah. some really good names and talent there. Again, people that are talking about research that I can't touch, but I'm glad to be part of them. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting thing. It's going to be an interesting conference with a lot of different speakers and a lot of different worldview points, too, and I'm, I'm really um, looking forward to it. Uh, thank you guys so much. Guy, uh, where can people find y'all? Roswellmission.org. Okay. Excellent. All right, yeah, guys. Thank you. Stay in the line for us. We're going to close Great. this section out, and we'll be back to finally close this show on Conspiranormal. If you want your HR team to hire top talent for your company, tell them about ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter's powerful matching technology identifies people with the right skills, education, and experience and actively invites them to apply to your company's job posts so you get qualified candidates fast. It's no wonder that ZipRecruiter is rated number one by employers in the U.S. This rating comes from hiring sites on Trustpilot with over 1,000 reviews. And right now, you can try ZipRecruiter for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash Conspiranormal. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash Conspiranormal. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Okay, I think we covered all the grounds as far as who's going to be speaking at the Strange Realities Conference 2019. That was part two. If you haven't heard part one, go check it out. Yeah, that was with uh, Tim Banal and Joshua Cutchin and Timothy Renner. And this one was Zach Hunt, Joe Damari, Mark Anthony Wyatt, and Guy Malone. So we made a decision, I believe, on the Guy Malone one. Because we went, well, like, an hour and 50 minutes with him and his friend Steven. Yeah. So what we're going to do is we're going to, for this show, and you probably already heard it, just guy describing what he's going to be talking about. But then we're going to do an entirely different bonus episode of them at Area 51. Yeah. Which will be out a few days after this one. Yes, sir. And we might do a Patreon out of that episode too yeah yet to see maybe yeah yet to see so we might just put the whole thing put the rest put the rest of it up we we're not we're not entirely sure at this moment so all right well adam did get me sick everybody just say no yeah 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 but uh both of us are are feeling much better so that's a good that's a good (laughs) thing this this virulency that uh has uh, has affected us but i won't talk too much about that i'm in my ultimate uh period of liminality right now too because I start a new position at work and i believe we both are yeah uh so guys tickets for the strange realities conference are still being sold we have a limited amount uh, which is about 100 tickets and they're picking up and it's picking up so guys if you want to come to nashville or if you already are in nashville and want to come to the Strange Realities Conference, you can go to strangerealitiesconference.com. There is a link there that will take you to the Eventbrite link, and that's where you can get your tickets. On Eventbrite, it is 30 bucks, and at the door, it's 40 It's going to be $40. So it's going to serve you well to get a prepaid ticket. And help us out a whole lot. Yeah, and you can use that $10 that you're going to save to buy books, which we're going to have. Or a 
T-shirt. RA T-shirt. Yeah, we are going to have T-shirts. So that is uh, that is being worked on at this very moment. So, all right. Um, I think that's going to be it. There's no reason to belabor the point. It's been a very long show. So, guys, which we actually did over the course of like two weeks, in case you didn't notice. Um, so, guys, uh, thank you for listening to Conspiranormal. We've got our Patreon that's out there. You can support us that way. That's at uh, patreon.com slash conspiranormal. Uh, you can leave a one-time donation on the site. Uh, feel free to leave an iTunes review if you can. And also don't forget our YouTube channel at Conspiranormal Podcast. And that's it, man. We're going to be back next time with Nick Redfern talking about Russia Uh-oh. and UFOs Uh-oh. on Conspiranormal. Sold at gyms. My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.